Before we get started, I want to share a quick story. Um, in a variety of roles, I've had the privilege of uh, seeing about a thousand business plans. This is through Pennsylvania uh, Angel Network, Robinhood Ventures, and the Wharton the Wharton uh, business plan competition. And if you go through that kind of exercise, uh, there's some things you conclude from it. One is that great ideas are really a dime a dozen. But what's really unique are people that can take a great idea and turn them into action and people who can formulate a team, bring together a group of people to act on those actions. And we're here today uh, to enjoy the result of that that, uh, that many people have contributed to, but one in particular hasn't gotten enough uh, recognition. He's not here, so you have to uh, tell him we all talked about him. But uh, Demeter Vlahoff uh, ha has worked with each of us to make sure we have a great experience. Uh, he's, uh, he's selfless and has uh, given us all a lot. I uh, ask that you thank him when you see him, because uh, we all appreciate it. He's a, he's a very interesting guy. Uh, he happens to be a uh, Stanford engineer. He came through the Stanford engineering program, which means he knows the math in addition to all the stuff that we, we talked about here. And he also did the carbon footprint for the San Francisco airport. So next time you land, think of Demeter. Okay. Uh, this panel has a long title, but we're going to call it Go Big. Okay. Uh, and earlier today, you heard that there was going to be a special plant panel this afternoon. Well, this is the extra special supreme intergalactic panel, uh, and it's called Go Big. Yeah. Uh, my name is Don Bain, Greenhouse Gas Management Institute, uh, software, uh, supply chain, training for Scope 3, et cetera. But I'm not the important one. I've got three incredible uh, people here that I want to introduce to you. They're the, they're the stars of, of this session. The first you've already met. That's uh, Kevin Moss. Uh, Kevin's with BT. Uh, he came through, he was part of the mainstream business function. So he was right in the middle of product management, strategy, etc. And at some point, he'll tell you more, uh, he took a turn into sustainability. Now, uh, I, you know, he, he, when he told me this, he told it like he was doing something different. But I push back to you and to him that he's actually part of the mainstream. He's just early, and he's, uh, he's teaching us. He does have a shyness problem, so I encourage you all to ask him, uh, uh, kind of help us get him over that. And I want you all, when you go home, uh, to go on YouTube and search for Net Good. And that radio voice that you hear on that video is Kevin's. And so you should ask him for an autograph now while they're still cheap, okay? Because I, I don't think they'll be cheap very long. Okay, uh, next we have Roberta Barbieri. Roberta is from Diageo. We were hoping Diageo would bring us samples today, but we'll find out uh, if that's true or not. Uh, you know, last year at this conference and many other conferences like it, you know, all the hall talk and all the conversations was about how do we get the businesses on board with what we're trying to do? How do we get the executives on board? And um, apparently, uh, Roberta didn't get that memo because uh, the rest of us thought that was hard. And while we were worried about how to do it and it might be hard, she just did it. 
uh, and she set a land speed record for getting uh, the business units and the, uh, the execs in North America. And these are the operational people uh, on board with this program. And she's, you've got you've to ask her about it. She's going to tell us more about it. Now, when you ask her, uh, try out your second or third language. She speaks uh, three fluently, and we'll just see which ones they are by your questions. <laughs> so I, I told you our panel was really special. You know, we... We haven't had enough time together, but we kind of checked each other out. And here's the word from her mom. So when she was a kid, she would invite the other kids to come over to play. But when they came over, she made them all go out in the woods and pick up litter and clean up the woods. So, uh, yeah, isn't that cool? (laughs) Welcome, Roberta. Uh, Last but not least, we have uh, Salim von Gronau. Uh, Salim is from Hewlett-Packard. Uh, he's been working all across HP, all of their business units and all of their uh, functions, settling, setting goals for the, uh, for the company. He led the supply chain inventory, that is the new Scope 3 inventory based on the new standard for all of HP. And he's just finished that up. You've got to ask him about it. Uh, I don't have the numbers, but we're talking, you know, tens, maybe hundreds of thousands of suppliers and tens of thousands of products. He's got a great story. Um, he happens to be a mechanical and aeronautical engineer. And he's a pilot, too. But um, you know that story, uh, that, that TV show called Undercover Boss? If you haven't seen it, it's where, you know, executives go down and work inside of the company uh, to, to really see what's going on. Um, well, he's not Meg, but I'm really suspicious that he's some other executive that's been planted uh, to, uh, to figure this out. And here's my evidence. So uh, he's an aeronautical engineer, and the newest server that uh, HP has announced is called Moonshot. Okay? I'm just saying. I think, uh, I think we got it. Okay. Uh, I don't think I let anybody out. Uh, so let me pitch to Kevin, and let's work on his shyness problem. Okay, Don. Um, um, I'm just going to speak for a few minutes because you, you've heard and seen my slides already. Don, thank you very much. This, this session is about um, partly about bold goals, and um, setting us up to be a supreme intergalactic panel is certainly setting a, a bold goal for us, but I hope we'll be able to meet that. Um, you, you saw um, three to one. I, I'm, I suspect everybody here now was here this morning. The, the three to one net good goal. So I'm, I'm not going to go through that goal again. I'd, I'll be happy to answer questions about it later if people have want, want to address that. But I'd like to just um, reiterate um, why we did it. Um, we, we were really trying to change our level of engagement with the business and the level of engagement of the business with, with our programs. We, and in, in, to do that, we wanted to come up with something that highlighted the opportunity of sustainability as at least equal to, if not more important, than the risk side of sustainability. Um, and parallel with that, this idea goes this idea of, do, of doing net good over and above doing, doing less bad. So th- those are really the, the, what, what we had behind it on a numbers basis as well as I talked about, this idea of, of, of pulling together all of this richness of numbers we had into one holistic goal. 
Um, a few extra insights into what we did and how we got there. We did set the goal first. Internally, we set the goal about 18 months, two years ago. At, a, at an internal level right up through our board and our operating committee, which, which is our top executive committee, prior to having a definition of how we were going to measure it. And we set the goal by looking at various other benchmarks and where we felt what we thought was a stretching benchmark within that for us. We then announced the goal um, in the fall of last year, in the autumn of last year. See, I can do transliteration between American English and British English in one go. Um, in the fall or the, the, the autumn of last year, um, actually at an analyst's meeting, but all the, the documentation went was, was public and put, started putting the material on our website. We had a methodology by then and a fairly a methodology we were relatively comfortable with, although it needed quite a bit of fine-tuning. We didn't at that point know where we were on the three-to-one trajectory. So we didn't at that point of announcing externally that we had this three-to-one goal know whether we were at 0.5-to-1, 1-to-1, or 2-to-1, or, or where we were, um, because we hadn't actually managed to, to crank the handle properly to get a number out of the far end. And then we, we made a big splash um, announcement in um, July. We actually announced the number within our, our report, our annual report, and our, our sustainability report and our report and accounts in June. And we got the number out of the machine in May. So in May, we found out that we were at one-to-one, -one and it was announced in, in our reporting at June. So we were up against the wire, and it was a pretty, um, I'll say, a pretty nerve-wracking experience. Um, but it also served well to build momentum. And there was a point at which we felt making the commitment would give us the momentum we needed to actually get this through the system. In past years, I, I think it would be fair to say we'd have, we'd have probably kept something like this internal for another couple of years, made sure we were confident with the numbers and that the stability of the numbers was something we were comfortable with. With this one, we, we, we felt we just had to get it out there. Um, and, and I suspect I'm going to have some red face tests in future years when maybe the numbers don't go quite the way I expect. But we, we, we felt that risk was one that was, that was worth taking. So a few different insights into how we got to where we got to. The one other um, perhaps um, dilemma we continue to deal with is this is one goal. We have many other environmental goals, but we've really put this one out there and made a big noise about it. And that continues to be in the back of my mind as to make sure I, we, we keep a balance uh, and we don't let this become so important that we, we forget some of the other goals, the other sustainability goals we have as a business, both environmental and societal. And that was a balance we also had to play with between the complexity of the message and having one simple message. Um, and we continue, I think we'll continue to struggle with getting that balance right. So that's all I'm going to say for now because I had my chance earlier, but I thought a few additional insights that were specific to the topic of this panel would be worth adding. And I should have explained earlier, but uh, we're going to let each of the uh, panelists introduce themselves and their programs, and then we'll cycle back through with some questions. We have some questions that we've, uh, we've created and socialized a bit amongst ourselves, and we'll open it up and uh, ask you to, to join in that process. Uh, next, uh, I'd like to invite uh, Roberta to uh, tell us about what's going on at Diageo. Thanks, Don. Um, in addition to, to Don's intro, let me stand over here. Um, you might recognize me from this morning's intro as one of the few geeks that have been here three years running. So <laughs> I think I was the only one in the whole room that's been here three times in a row. Yeah, <laughs> well, thank, thank you. you. Aren't you nuts? <laughs> um, I work for a company called Diageo. Um, I need the clicker before I... Pardon me. Oh, that's okay. Thanks, Don. Um, 
some people have heard of Diageo, some people have not. Um, you probably know us by our brands. Um, <laughs> I get a lot of that too, and I love it. Especially from the Guinness drinkers. Any Guinness drinkers in the crowd? Man, you are dedicated people, committed. Um, anyway, all I'll say here is we make, we're the world's largest um, producer of premium alcoholic beverages, and we do a fair amount of selling in the marketplace, and we do, do fairly, fairly well in the marketplace. Um, my role at the company is uh, global environmental director, um, so I do setting of strategy, um, identifying targets, identifying the programs that are needed to achieve the targets, and then nagging, cajoling, and holding people accountable to deliver them throughout the, the business in a nutshell. So w what I want to talk to in the next five to seven minutes is uh, environmental performance linked to um, business performance. Um, and Don, one of the suggestions he made was for me to start with the end in mind. And you'll see my, my last slide of, is conclusions, but I want to throw it out as kind of the key takeaways that I'm hoping to, to give to you today is um, big carbon reductions are possible despite big growth increases in the business. So you can grow and do pretty significant carbon reductions at the same time. So decoupling is possible. And that aggressive targets are, in my opinion, um, one very powerful lever or lever um, to, to get you there. So this is a slide that preaches to the choir um, for this crowd. Uh, I don't need to um, describe how uh, environmental efficiencies help drive um, business performance and why one would want to, to seek to do them. Um, so I'll start with our, our environmental targets. These apply just to direct operations, which is traditional and not new metrics, but um, all in good time. Um, these targets were set against a 2007 baseline. They're, they come due in 2015, so we're six years into an eight-year target achievement period. Um, you'll see that uh, four out of five are um, absolute-based. So carbon in particular, I think, is probably our most stretching target. We're looking to reduce absolute carbon emissions by 50% um, over uh, that eight-year period. We're looking to improve water efficiency as measured in liters of water used per liter of product um, packaged by 30%. We have 12 um, manufacturing locations. Actually, they're all breweries that are water, in water-stressed environments. They're also all in Africa. Um, at those facilities, we have an absolute water reduction target to um, cut the amount of water wasted or process wastewater out the back door discharge by 50% through recycling and recovery programs. We're looking to um, cut the, what we call the polluting power of our wastewater by 60% measured by um, biological oxygen demand in our, in our effluent. And then we're going to completely eliminate waste to landfill. So how are we doing? Um, pretty well. Our global carbon performance, we're down 26% um, since F07. And I'll talk a little bit more about why... We're particularly proud of that one, even though it's only halfway to our goal uh, in, a, in a couple of slides. We're well on track for water efficiency. We're down almost 20%. Um, water stress, we're down. We're almost halfway to that target as well. Wastewater, we're off track. 
um, and waste to landfill were were on track. I'm going to I'm going to leave it at that because I have a limited amount of time. If you're interested in why and how and what and when, um, look to our sustainability report or ask me in the break. I'll be happy to talk to any of those in detail. Now I'd like to show our few snapshots from our business performance. Uh, again, please don't ask me too many questions on this slide. I'm not a finance guy. Um, in fact, I'm not a guy at all. But <laughs> uh, in case the dress didn't give it away. Um, but I, bring, I put this up to show that we're, we're a pretty strong company um, and getting stronger. Those are, from what I gather, fairly, fairly decent uh, financial results. Um, so let me focus the last couple of slides on carbon performance. Excuse me, Gil. Um, so globally, we're down 26.5% in absolute carbon. At the same time, our volume in, in equivalent units sold has grown by 17%, and our sales are up by 15%. Again, I calculated volume increase and sales increase simply by looking at our annual financial report from 2007 and the one we just published doing net sales and volume equivalents. Um, so that's the extent of that uh, very rigorous and robust uh, financial analysis. But the point is that we've grown a fair amount and still have driven our carbon reductions down by an even greater amount. Um, we've also absorbed the carbon impact of several new acquisitions, which we calculate if we had not absorbed it, um, if we had kind of ring-fenced the new ones and not included them in our carbon target, our um, performance on carbon would actually be 8% better. So we'd be up to um, 30, low 30s for a reduction on carbon. Now let me drill down a little bit, come out of the global and down to North America, because here's where we get some really impressive um, performance figures. Um, our North American business, we have three... Um, large distilleries in North America, Crown Royal, George Dickel. Um, we have one in, in Quebec. We have a couple of fairly large bottling plants, and we have 12 wineries. So that's the portfolio of operations that these numbers reflect. Since 2007, um, we've been able to reduce absolute carbon emissions by a whopping 73%. At the end of last fiscal year, so a year ago at this time, we were down 80%. Uh, in the last year, we've absorbed um, a new build um, in the U.S. Virgin Islands that uh, eroded that um, achievement a bit, but we're on track to get back to an 80% reduction by the end of this fiscal year. So when you hear the um, talk of we need to get an 80% reduction by 2050, we've done it basically by 2014. Um, and that's been achieved through... Nothing rocket science-based. Fuel switching, good old-fashioned energy efficiency, and green electricity. So in my continuing downward dig, let me show you one example. Um, and this is my second-to-last slide. Biggest bottling plant in North America is located in Plainfield, Illinois, which is outside of Chicago. Um, it's a pretty big plant. employs about 600 people. They've actually reduced carbon by 64% despite a 33% increase in production. Talk about decoupling um, from fossil fuel, decoupling growth from fossil fuel. There, there you have it. They're also 14% more carbon efficient. They've been a zero waste to landfill site since 2019 and a real um, 
upstanding and um, con contributing member of the local community. So there you have it. Um, large reductions in absolute carbon are possible, um, along with um, good performance in, in business growth. And I think one of the key factors in driving that performance for us has been the fact that we threw a big carbon target out there, not entirely sure at the time how to, how to achieve it. We're still struggling at the global level to get more um, built into the last two years of our target achievement. But if we had not put the target out there, we wouldn't even be at 26%. Um, so that's my, my pitch for uh, aggressive targets, make them public. Thank you, Roberta. Uh, Gil, could you uh, hold them for just a second? Let me get uh, Salim uh, up here and get his slides up here, and let's get through that. Here we go. You can, you can do it from wherever you'd like. Um, so I'm from a little company you guys may have heard of called Hewlett Packard. Um, to give a sense of how small we are, uh, we are a $120 billion company. We ship 48 million PCs a year. Uh, we've got 1,000 facilities around the world. We have 300,000 employees. And this project that I'm going to tell you about today is about really understanding what our complete footprint is across the entire value chain. So from all levels of our supply chain, across all of our portfolio of products, across the entire use phase, the life cycle, the lifetime of that product through end of life, as well as all of the other scope three categories uh, outside of the products, so upstream energy consumption, employee commuting, uh, various other uh, investments and otherwise. So what we did over the course of this last year is go through every single category of scope three and look at them. And the reason, and I'll, and I'll get into this a little bit, you know, the reason behind that is, is partly HP's legacy in the environmental space. So we've had a long history of uh, transparency around our, our operations, reporting our operations uh, footprint in 1999, setting goals around it, um, you know, doing a lot of work in our supply chain, as Bonnie here knows, uh, not just in transparency, but also working very closely with our suppliers, uh, and working well, you know, working with our consumers, working with uh, our, our customers at end of life. So HP's been doing a lot of this for a long time, but we've never looked at the holistic picture with a single unit, uh, a, a, a single unit across all of these levels of the value chain being carbon. Uh, and we'd like to expand this to uh, the other environmental indicators next. So you might ask, you know, why, why, do, we, why did we do this? Why did we look, uh, why did we want to do this? Um, and there's really three reasons. First, you know, we can't manage what you can't measure, the, the, the classic axiom. And what we wanted to do here was really create a measurement profile across these categories with enough detail that we could make decisions with it. But not in so much detail that we'd spend too long with the, the measurement process to actually get to some conclusions that really impact the business. I think that balance is really important for companies. Whether you're considering doing carbon footprinting or trying to understand where your impacts uh, lay in the uh, lie in the value chain is to find the balance of doing measurement. We've heard a lot about measurement over the course of these these sessions here, but get to a conclusion, get to something that's usable within the business. Um, and for us, that that uh, you know was enough detail using product lifecycle analyses. So rather than using an economic input output calculator, which was too rough for us to get those conclusions that we needed, we used a, a, you know a, a huge amount of product LCAs, so very, very detailed information 
uh, where we could to, to um, get those, uh, get the numbers and get the conclusions. Uh, the second is to, to really lead the industry. So we're, I think, worldwide, as, as of this last spring, the second company to actually go through all 15 categories and really measure everything associated with the Greenhouse Gas Protocol. We're the first IT company to do this. Um, and we also uh, had everything assured by our financial auditors. So the company's financial auditors are Ernst & Young. We wanted to reach that higher level of assurance to just add credibility internally to have this conversation about how to use these numbers to impact the strategy. But also, that hasn't been done before, um, to really go through and make sure that all material aspects of the business are accounted for, that there's a process for data collection that we can repeat year after year. That, those things are really important to, to creating something that's really useful for the business as a tool, as a, as a, a device that can go around year after year and make, make decisions happen. And the last is to demonstrate, right? I talked about this single unit of carbon across our entire value chain, suddenly we can see, well, if we make changes in this phase and somewhere in our supply chain in the design aspect, well, it actually impacts also somewhere downstream or somewhere, you know, some changes that employees may make, well, that changes employee commuting. So there's, there's, there's a variety of different uh, reasons for us to do this. Here are the numbers. Um, they, we could spend a long, long time on all these numbers. <laughs> there's a lot of uh, things that went into them. And I'll, I'll, I'll start by, your, your eyes are probably already kind of digesting uh, whichever category you feel is most interesting. But a um, couple things, right? There, there's the high-level percentages, which are um, maybe different than, they're certainly different than what we imagined they would be. We thought we had a good idea of them. Um, there's also the big numbers, and there's also the really small numbers. And I think there's, there's many different ways of taking about it. I, I'll, I'll say for the questions, the a little bit more of the challenges of the process we went through and, and the, the, some of the difficulties with getting everybody on board with this process. But 36,460, the percentages at the top. Our supply chain is enormous with tens of thousands of suppliers worldwide. But building our products is one aspect. Obviously, our operations are very small. <laughs> but using the products when all of us have devices in our product pockets or we've, we've had our laptops open here or we've left our computer on at home or an enterprise might, you know, have a massive number of servers running for, for a process, that's really where our footprint is. So we need to do is uh, what we need to understand as a company is not just what we can do from a design aspect, what we can do by working with our suppliers, but also how do we work with our customers to encourage them, to enable them to make reductions in their footprint, which is, in effect, our footprint. And that was a shift. I, I think that was one major learning that, wow, actually, we know we ship a lot of products, but we didn't realize operations was so small. I mean, we've been concentrating on our operations for a long, long time. And you can see even this is a bigger definition of operations than just our own facilities. This is also business travel. This is also employee commuting. And notice employee commuting is quite big compared to our own buildings. Um, so even in that broader definition of operations, of things that we have most direct control over, it's still quite small. Uh, so it really shifted the narrative internally to saying, well, we need to look at the cross-functional value of activities that we can make in our supply chain that impact our operations, but also that impact our customer use. Um, a little bit about the small numbers. You'll notice uh, there's some zeros on here. So it was important for us to go through, even though we thought some things were immaterial. Uh, one of the most interesting things is that product end of life is zero. That comes out of 
a long history of working with recycling projects and you know taking taking our PCs and either you know taking our cartridges and making it into a closed loop process, the one of the first in the industry. Uh, a lot of recycling uh, uh, initiatives across the world, but also PCs don't you know it, it they don't uh, decompose. <laughs> so it's about that material actually. You can feed it back in. This is, this is part of being able to show that there is the, the ability to, to create closed loops here. And that at the end of life, the product's not creating carbon there. But there is still embedded carbon that you can see over in materials extraction through manufacturing. That if we can feed that material back into that loop, we actually reduce something on the other side of the equation. So it's about finding those, those values across the board. Um, that also is not to say that that isn't, you know, product end of life is not critical for stakeholders. Um, and, and generally, this is a map of our impact, but not necessarily the uh, map of highest areas of concern. So what are we doing about it? Um, actually, I'm, I'm, I'm happy to say that this week, uh, we just announced a new supply chain goal. So working with our suppliers, our Tier 1 suppliers, to reduce their footprint by 20% by 2020 on an intensity basis, the first in the IT industry, uh, to really get at that 36%. We're going to do that through working very closely with our suppliers uh, and uh, encouraging them and showing them new ways of reducing their energy consumption uh, through reducing an absolute 2 million tons out of the, uh, out of the larger supply chain, um, as well as uh, kind of other specific programs uh, deeper in the supply chain, sort of LCD manufacturing and otherwise, to get, to get reductions within that 36%. Our operations were on our second uh, generation goal, also a 20% reduction by 2020 on an absolute basis. We met our first one already, uh, much of it through energy efficiency investments, which we prioritize over renewable energy, but then we also buy a lot of renewable energy. Uh, and the last is products and solutions, right? The getting at that 60% that I mentioned earlier being so important that it takes transformative products. And uh, Don mentioned Moonshot being uh, something that we came out th with this last year. It changes the way servers consume energy. It's 89% less energy consumption. Uh, imagine the impact that that can have over the lifetime of a server. And as you replace older servers, or as our data needs grow, our data center needs grow, it can really make a big impact on that 60%. So that's, that's the stuff we're doing. Uh, to get at each uh, area of the chain. And this, each of these took a lot of internal work to, to show people, here's where your impact is. You didn't know this before across the company. And tell us, you know, let, help us to figure out things that we can do about it together. Thanks. That's great. Um, we're going we're gonna to shift to questions. In case you didn't know, Facebook, Google, et cetera, they each use hundreds of thousands of uh, servers. So if you take these mm -hmm. kinds of numbers and run them through power, cooling, carbon, uh, it's, a, it's a major mm -hmm. impact. So we're going uh, to race through questions. We're going to make sure we include you. I'm going to kick the first one off. I'm going to pick on Salim. Uh, because he uh, was just standing up here. Uh, consistent with the themes that you've heard other companies doing, uh, HP published their carbon accounting manual. So not only did they do their footprint, but they took the extra step of, uh, of publishing how we did it. Here are our assumptions. And I found that to be uh, a little novel. I'm, I'm, I'm glad to see it. It's brave. How did you get that through legal? <laughs> um. We, we, you know, Kevin talked, touched on it a little bit earlier as well about the um, the assumed risk that a lot of sustainability metrics have in uh, within our companies, whether it's within our legal teams or within 
general business units around, well, if we release that number, what are people going to say? Um, or we release a manual as to how to do these calculations, well, does that expose us any, in any way? And the truth is, I mean, it's a conversation that has to happen and an understanding that, well, actually, you know, we have a legacy. We have, we've been being transparent about a lot of things for a long time. So we know that there was not risk associated with those things that we did. Um, and this leads the industry. There's a, there's a positive uh, reputational aspect to, to pushing this out and getting comments and feedback on if it was the right approach or maybe it, maybe it wasn't, but we can always adjust it. And kind of addressing each of the potential risks that, you know, a legal team might bring up. Well, you know, this, this you know, does, are we exposing any numbers that, uh, you know, that, that should be in the financial reports and go through a different process? No, we're not. Um, and so it, it, it's a conversation, and I, and I think that's probably true at, at most companies, is trying to understand who has issues with what aspect of things and address them one by one. So, Kevin told us about uh, net good, uh, and if you think about it, it it's, uh, it's really novel. It goes from, uh, to, from reporting to engaging, and engaging with the other side of the supply chain. We're all used to doing our, our supply chain footprints by going out to our suppliers, but they're going out to their customers. So we joked beforehand about, hi, I'm knocking on the door. I'm Kevin. I'm from BT. I'm here to help. Tell us what that's like. <laughs> Because I don't um, think they hear that very often. They, well, they, they don't. And to, to be honest, they don't really hear that now. Um, this, this message, we, you know, the, I'll, I'll, if I go to a customer and say, hey, we've got this three-to-one program, the customer might go, yeah, that's nice, but how can you help me? Right? They're, they're not really – my counterpart at a customer, these guys, might be interested in the fact we're doing this. But the, the, the person buying from us is not interested in the fact we're doing this. What they're interested in, certainly on the business-to-business -business side, is how, how can you help us? And the conversation we're trying to engender, working with our account teams – is that as well as going to a customer and saying, hey, we can help you with your improving your customer service, reducing your costs, whatever the list of things is, we say to our customers, what I want to get to is the point where one of the things on that list is, and we can help you with your sustainability targets. Now, at the moment when that happens, the person they're talking to at the customer probably doesn't know what their sustainability targets are, which is why it's so important to me that other companies are doing this and so, so that the customer understands what they're trying to achieve as well. It's, it's getting that link up that really works for us. Fantastic. Salim, did you have something to add on that? Um, it's okay to pass because yeah, i got a, a question out here. Uh, in the back. Jennifer. <laughs> I'd say we didn't have as much of that issue at HP. I think we've been talking about carbon for some time. And so for us, kind of 
being able to align a, around carbon um, wasn't wasn't as much of a challenge as, as I can imagine if we were, if we were just starting out in that process of understanding. Well, we talk about energy, and we've kind of switched from our facility energy consumption to carbon. So now we talk about carbon in our facility. I mean, still there's facility managers who care about the electricity consumption. That's that's true, but they understand that carbon is is now a more kind of holistic unit to use. Um, that said, I think um, it's well, um, it's it, it's it's quite a process. And there's you know I, the reason we chose to use LCAs is because LCAs for the businesses for the product designers speaks a language they understand, which doesn't have to be converted to carbon. It's just percent impacts or where, you know, how much material am I actually using? And that gets plugged into an LCA model, which outputs carbon in the end. But it, but they can see very varying impacts relative to each other outside of the unit of carbon. And so that's what, uh, for us, the benefit of going to that, that deeper level of analysis using product LCAs for most of the product impacts to, to convert that into eventually carbon, which is a language maybe some designers say, hey, look, I'm just buying plastic. I'm buying this material. <laughs> Why does this matter? I say, well, compared to you know your work on your power supply, actually your power supply is bigger impact. So that's where we've uh, you know I, I can understand and, and that there is that balance of carbon. Say, people saying, well, I don't know what a one ton of carbon is, and that's actually why we don't really talk. I, I didn't really talk at all in the presentation about the total number. What is our total impact in tons of carbon, or really the the the, the number for each of those categories? The numbers aren't actually as important as the relative size of them to each other. So we've, while we've used carbon to align everything, we actually don't use carbon as the. We we use the relative impacts. If you see what I'm saying. Gil, I put you off earlier. Yeah. Help us out. Yeah, thank you all very much. It's a very inspiring panel, and um, uh, we've filled the promise in the program. A couple things. Um, we did HP's first sort of baby carbon directionally very similar findings to what we had there. But what was striking to me was that that, it, that data didn't drive the decisions. The decisions had already been made. There was always, already a strategy designed for environment, maximizing efficiency of products and closing the loop on both consumables and equipment and body mix. We could speak more, in more detail to that. There was already a decision had been made to go in that direction. The data supported, validated, and defined tool. So the question that's always in my mind, and I've asked it a few people here already, big-ass goals like this get set. 80% uh, in five or six years reduction is pretty striking. Um, but it's particularly striking because if you propose that to most companies, they would say, are you crazy? They would say, not possible. They, they would say, guess. you know, 50% a year, maybe. But so, they weren't making their guess. Yeah, maybe that's it. <laughs> so my question is, is not so much how did you get these goals adopted, but what do you think is the barrier? Why are, why are your peers not stepping up the way you guys are? You want to take that one, Roberta? And I want to add, how did you do it so fast? It's an interesting twist on the on the um, question. Um, I'll take the easier one first. That's easy? Okay. Um, well, we're, we're not there yet, and we're only halfway on a global level. So, um, you know, yeah, proud of our achievements, but um, feeling anxious about our ability to get to the to the to the fifty percent personally. Um, 
understanding the how we did it, um, you need to understand a bit of Diageo culture, which is to set kind of big goals without generally knowing exactly how to get there. I mean, some some companies that are very, like, engineering-minded and engineering-driven companies would want to see exactly, all right, tell me exactly how you're going to do it. And be, until I see that, I'm not going to sign in. That's not us. Um, so, you know, the the setting of the goal was, was actually very easy and was a matter of a few back-of-the-envelope calculations and a conversation in a couple of key places. Um, the getting there fast, particularly in North America, speaks to something Don said earlier. It's about passionate people. We had some really good um, project managers in um, well-placed areas in North America that were able to show the hardcore engineering types, okay, the target of 50% is a non-negotiable. You have to do that. that. That's been put to bed. The faffing about has, has stopped in the early years on that. It's the how do we get there. And what they did in North America was say, here's the laundry list of potential projects, and here's the bang for the buck, the, the you know, kilograms or the tons of CO2 t that will be reduced per dollar spend. So prioritize them by bang for the buck. Um, so that um, is, the, I think, the answer to, to Don's question. The answer to your question is what are the barriers? I think a big barrier is company culture that I alluded to. If we don't know exactly how we're going to do it, which who does, really? I mean, we don't know how we're going to get to 50% even today. We have line of sight to maybe get to 38% in the next 18 months, but we still, two years away, don't have full line of sight to the 50. So I think that's very, very scary. And, and it's risky, you know, because we, if we do not hit 50%, we're risking not accolades for having hit 30%, but, you know, bangs on the head for not ha having hit 50. So you're really, you're asking companies to set um, goals that are very risky from a PR standpoint. This side of the room. Yes, please. It's, it's, that, that's a really, uh, sorry, I always feel bad when people, people say it's a really good question. That was probably our biggest challenge in coming up with this. The biggest difficulty um, was where, where's our baseline? Um, and, and, and actually Bill and I, is Bill in the room still, were having a conversation earlier about the nature of this goal. This is not a scientific goal in the, in the, in the same way as some of, of, of some of our other goals. Our absolute is the one side or the burden side of the equation is an absolute number. We have actually, so we had this discussion amongst ourselves and in great detail with the Carbon Trust. So our baseline is the copper network. So I've actually got an answer to the question. I'm glad we spent the time thinking about it. So we have not taken, if you like, we have not taken carbon credit for carbon we have abated by laying a copper network. Now, if you're not familiar with my industry, this might not mean so much to you, but basically the old network ran on copper, the new network runs on fiber. So we've, that, was no, that is sort of conceptually where we've drawn the line. So, you know, it could be you go back to say, well, if there was no phone network, you'd have to go on a horse and cart to every single person you wanted to speak to, and that's an awful lot of carbon 
from that horse. Um, and um, the, 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 but we haven't, you know, we, we had to draw a line, and that was where we drove it. That was, that was where we put it. There was a question here. And then the one over here. Yeah. You know, for, for uh, so thanks for the question um, and, and the softball, I guess. Um, <laughs> uh, <laughs> but hurry. It's, it's actually for large enterprise customers, right? We ship a lot of products uh, and they consume a lot of energy over the course of the time uh, that they are being used, which is a very simple calculation to total cost of ownership. And so that's really where if, our, we, if we can differentiate our products through design, through the total uh, energy consumption over the lifetime of those products, that will cost you much less. Um, not maybe, you know, ideally when you buy the product from us, but also as the product's being used over time, which is something that you will pay for and we won't pay for. And so that, that argument actually is quite uh, easy to, meet, to make in many ways because there's such an, a straight correlation between energy consumption uh, and cost. Thanks. We're moving fast. There was a question. <laughs> Well, I would say it's a handicap, but it does open up different challenges. Um, our, you know, I hate to use the low-hanging fruit analogy, but we picked those things. Now we're under the high-hanging fruit. Uh, and, and those are harder, right? So we have been collecting a lot of information for a lot of time. We've been working uh, closely with our suppliers and mentioning these things. Now, now it's a process of going the next step beyond that. So... Um, well, no, it's not a hindrance, right? We're, we're very happy to be in the point where we can actually go and, and have much deeper conversations with our suppliers and really develop the relationship further and, and create partnerships with our suppliers that will enhance our business, enhance their business as well. Um, 
and go further and go deeper into our supply chain and address additional stakeholders. So our, our ability to uh, address stakeholders is much, much bigger than when we were starting out where we say, well, we have these key stakeholders, let's address those guys first, whether it's our employees, whether it's external. So um, I think that's the beauty of the path of sustainability, right? It, it, there's always more opportunity, it feels like, in our field to you know, go capture the next, the next level. I hate to rush you, but I'm rushing you. Libby at True Cost. Thanks, Matt. There. Uh, and this might be a question for you. So, when we start to look at these emissions downstream, maybe even upstream, and it's uh, to count the reductions. So, is this sort of first raise their hand? So, for example. I've got them all now, so you're too late. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> If we're saving emissions, they both can count. They both count. If you're talking credits, that's a different question. You guys, right? right. Correct. So I, I anticipate other companies will want to count some of the same reductions mm -hmm. that I've counted. This again, and that's why I'm not claiming this is a scientific methodology. It's not a zero-sum game. You're going to add all the numbers up and get to the total. Um, I'm comparing two particular things and trying to be very transparent about exactly what I am and am not doing. My defense for claiming it is I've taken account of my entire supply chain. Um, and whilst I understand um, with Salim's comments about the weaknesses of input-output analysis, it's our best way, uh, we feel at the moment, of getting our arms around the entire supply chain. So I feel if somebody else is, is a, let's say, a, a step closer than I am to the customer and claiming the benefit, that's okay. As long as they're taking my, my carbon into account as part of their supply chain, then I think they've got a right to count the benefit. And when a, a dozen companies have got something out there, let's all get together again and see if we can come up with a, a more scientific way of adding it up. A quick teaching moment. The, uh, this GHG protocol corporate value chain standard makes an accommodation which allows uh, both those companies to do it. I uh, encourage you guys to take uh, uh, guidance from that. Can I, well, just, add, can I just add one please. thing? I think it's, it's, it's a valid question, right? Double counting in the world of standards is, is going to happen more and more. I think the key for companies is to understand where they have levers to, to make those impacts. So, yes, you know, in, in the footprint, customer use is, a, is, a, is enormous, right? But our customers, are that's their scope one and two. Our way to impact that is through design. The customers can't impact the design. They can impact it by how often they're turning it on and off. And that's the, like, yes, there was double, double counting, but it's the, it's the next step below that of where, what can I do to impact that number? And my customers can't count the design of the products. They can count what they do. So I think that's where the split happens. Last question. To Thomas. Yeah, thank you. The question I have, and I had the same question for this day, but I didn't get to it. So, okay. is if you one day want to lead with sustainability as a differentiator in the market, you need to allow your supplier to do the same. If you use input output models for industry averages, mm. you don't take that differentiator into the equation. So, mm. I can understand it's a starting point mm -hmm. to get your arms around something, but eventually you have to waste the granularity to allow your supplier to. Yeah, we're, and we're, we're, we're 
trying to work out how we do that. So where we've done a program, where we've run a program with a particular supplier, and as a result that supplier has, has reduced their carbon footprint, that doesn't show up in the input-output analysis. Um, but we are, tr we are looking for ways of, of building a hybrid where we can demonstrate that. We do nevertheless take it into account in our purchase decisions from that supplier. So it's part of our weighting of um, bids from suppliers, what their, what their carbon emissions are. So on a supplier-by-supplier -supplier basis, we take it into account, but it is, a it, it is a downside of this methodology. I want to leave you with a hanging question, and a, uh, which you can pursue with our panelists at your leisure. Uh, and a couple of observations. The hanging question is, we are all used to sustainability as largely having historically been a, a, a compliance function all the work is happening in the wake of the business activity. After all, we're going in and discovering data after the business uh, processes have already happened. If you step back and look at what these leaders are doing, they are shifting from that model to one of engaging, not only in, uh, in reporting, but actively participating in product design actively participating in the business processes, and that's remarkable. It's raising the skill level. You're seeing lots more skills attend. You're seeing uh, leadership emerge. It's quite gratifying to see this. I think it has big implications on the professions that we're all pursuing, and I'm, I'm very glad to see, see that, and I commend you all for it. I want to uh, formally close. We can informally ca carry this conversation on with a couple of quick observations. I started by calling this go big. Uh, the rest of that usually is go, go big or go home. But in this case, it's go big and go back. Uh, building on what uh, Gil and others have said, uh, you're seeing what a year ago I couldn't really imagine happening, uh, happen quite rapidly with barriers coming down uh, all around us. So please take these lessons out. Please take the things that you've heard. Take them back to your companies and come back here and share the, uh, share the stories with us next time. Thank you. I hope you agree it was the Supreme Intergalactic Panel. <laughs> <laughs>